The first time I learned to drive stick was very inadvertent. See, I never, I, never, I never learned this growing up. I never had this skill. I knew the theory behind it. I know there's an extra pedal to press. And uh, there's probably like a fifth of you that know and are laughing at me right now, and the rest are sympathizing with me. So uh, when I was in my first church, it was in Mississauga, and uh, I worked full-time at the church, and I also had a part-time job cleaning photocopiers and selling used photocopiers. It was not exciting at all. But uh, one day, uh, I had parked my car at the boss's house in downtown Mississauga. And we, our place was up on Steeles Avenue up in uh, Malton, up in the other end. And uh, we came back to the shop, and it was getting late, and the boss said, you know what, why don't you just take my car and drive down to my house, pick up your car and go your way, my wife will be by, she can pick me up, and I'll be gone. I'm like, oh, that'd be great, thank you so much. He throws me the keys, and I walk out, and I, honestly, first time I've ever stitched it. Mississauga, rush hour. So I go to the, to the car, and I open it up and sit in there, and I'm like, Where's D? <laughs> like, something, something is not right. So I'm like, oh no, I know what this is. Uh -oh. Well, no time like the present. I wasn't going to wait around and waste my whole evening. So, and the boss didn't know I didn't know how to drive it. So uh, I started the car up and uh, chunked to a stop and then realized that there's an emergency brake. That, see, I never use the emergency brake when you have an automatic, because why would you? Anyways, unless it's a handbrake and it's the winter and you're having fun. But <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> a few other stories. So uh, I finally flipped it into reverse and it slammed into gear and it jumped backwards and stalled and I rolled out of the parking lot stall. <laughs> out, out of the parking spot. I'm like, okay, I got this. I'm moving. <laughs> Started up again, look over my shoulder to see if he, the boss is in the window watching me. He was not, which was great. I'm like, okay, I, after a few more stalls, I finally got it into first. I'm like, okay. I can do this. I got this. How hard can it be? Lots of people do this. Got into second, got into third, and I drove around the back so I didn't have to go right onto Steeles Avenue first. But I drove around the back and I'm coming up, and as I'm meeting Steeles Avenue, the light turns red. I'm like, ah. So I pulled to a stop. It was a very quiet road, though, so there was no one behind me to watch me bunny hop the car a few more times as I stalled it repeatedly. Anyways, finally, right at the, it, the light turned green. I missed a full green-red cycle because I couldn't get the thing going. Finally, it turned green again, and partway through the green, I got it into first gear. I'm like, yes, this is great. Pull onto Steeles Avenue in rush hour. I'm like, okay, I need to leave space in front of me um, so I can keep this thing. I'm, I'm going to do this. I determined to keep it at least in first gear and never... Never go lower than that. So I, I had a huge space in front of me. People were honking, cutting me off. It'd be a red light, and I'd spend the whole red light creeping up on the person in front of me so I didn't have to stop the car again. Finally, finally hit the glorious 410 and hopped on. I'm like, oh. It was like a weight rolled off my shoulders. And I, I drove to his house with not too much difficulty after that. Pardon me? You changed. Oh no, I changed gears. I can go up and down. I knew that R wasn't for race. I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> but we, 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 I made it. I made it is the short story. In his card. In his card. And I never told him. 
to this day. He has no idea. He probably had to replace the transmission. But uh, anyways, so if anyone wants me to drive your vehicle that's standard, I'd be happy to. Uh, oh, okay. Just, just out of a sense of personal inadequacy, how many of you know how to drive standard? Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. The reason I told you about standard is because, believe it or not, the word automatic is the central word in our parable today. Automatic. It, and manual, you do everything yourself. Automatic, you just put it in drive and let it go, and every, all the shifting happens on its own. There's a little puddle under your car, you take it into someone like Jamie who'll fix it for you. But uh, that, that's all you have to do. The point of this parable is that a, a large part, the growth of the kingdom of God, doesn't happen manually. It doesn't happen by, <laughs> what am I doing here? The, the kingdom of God happens literally automatically. So here's, uh, we, we're in a series on the kingdom of God, six short stories about the kingdom of God. The first week, we looked at how the kingdom of God is not just something that we will go to once we die, but the kingdom of God is present. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within or among you. Because Jesus is here, the kingdom is here. The second week, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first short story about the wheat and the weeds and how normal kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world, when they take over territory, they knock out the other people and they become the only power. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God grows up like wheat in the middle of weeds and they're together at the same time. Remember, we were talking about how crazy it would be for all the disciples to look at Jesus, and he said, the kingdom of God is here. And they're like, uh, there's 13 of us, and a crowd, and you haven't given them any weapons. You call this a kingdom? And his point in all these parables was to say, yeah, the kingdom's here, and it looks different. It's not a kingdom that will take up sword and conquer other nations. Although to our shame, the church has done that repeatedly. It's not that sort of kingdom. It's a kingdom that grows up among the other kingdoms of this world. Today we're looking at a special parable. And I thought I'd even pause here because uh, I'm not sure uh, all of your background with the Bible, so I thought I'd just do a little bit of teaching to help you with your own devotional time. In the New Testament, if this is old hat for you too, please forgive me, but I think it'll be helpful for some people. In the New Testament, the second uh, third, or the last third or last quarter of the Bible starts in Matthew, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the books in the Bible that tell us the story of Jesus. They tell us about Jesus' life. Now, one of them is odd, odd, John. It doesn't read like the rest. It doesn't feel like the rest. Jesus doesn't tell any parables in John. Uh, Jesus only does seven signs in John. They don't even call them miracles. There's a lot of teaching. John kind of is, a, is an odd duck. It's a wonderful book. You're left with three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing this for an exam, they would be in trouble for plagiarism because they copied off each other. And this was not a bad thing. This was a good thing. Uh, the first gospel to be written is uh, the gospel of Mark. And Matthew and Luke both use Mark's story to tell their stories of Jesus. 
So Mark had the bare-bones framework, and Matthew and Luke both used Mark and filled it in with their own stories to tell their own life of Jesus in their own way. And so, in here's the crazy thing. If the book of Mark was to be ripped out of your Bible, and we were to lose it, and no one had any memory of it, we would only lose 3% of the life of Jesus. That's it. Because there's only 3% of Mark is unique to Mark. If, if, so it, I think that's amazing. Anyway, so, so the moral of the story is don't read Mark, read Matthew. No. Um, we would only lose 3%, but here's the thing. The parable that we're looking at today is in that 3%. What, what we're about to look at, this kingdom parable that's called, sometimes it's called the farmer scattering seed, sometimes it's called the growing seed, sometimes it's called the seed growing secretly, emphasizing different things. This parable is only found in Mark. It's one of that precious little unique Mark. And it goes a little something like this. I have it on the screen for us. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't get how it happens. Well, the earth produces the crops on its own, automatically. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens, and soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and the harvest, to harvest it with a sickle. For the harvest time has come. It's quick, it's short, it's unique to Mark. Let's give it one more try. Let this sink in. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Picture the farmer scattering his seed. Night and day, doesn't matter what the farmer is doing, whether he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own automatically. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. The harvest time has come. When we read parables like this, we often start to think, well, what represents what? What does he mean by this? And Jesus didn't interpret this parable. It's not like the parable of the sower where he says, let me explain to you what you were too dense to understand in the first place. This one, we are left to ourselves to figure out what it means. But fortunately, we have a large Bible <laughs> and a great tradition to understand. And so one of the first questions you might want to consider is, who's the farmer in this story? Who does the planting? What's that? Yeah! Bonus points. Um, when Israel tells stories about a farmer planting seed, it usually refers to God, almost always. There's a passage in Isaiah 55 that is, goes along with the parable of the sower that was just before this parable we read. And it says this, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. Rain and snow, by the way. Can I get an amen? They cause grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. This is the perspective of God. I send it out and it always produces fruit. So if you were sitting around Jesus in this day and he said, let me tell you a story about a farmer who was planting seed. Everyone would think, okay, this is a story about God planting something. 
Well, if God is the farmer, then what's our job? If God is the one who plants the seed, what's our role? See, we're talking about the kingdom of God expanding. We're talking about people coming into the life of the kingdom, coming to know Jesus, coming to experience the fullness of the church, the community of God. We're, we're understanding this. Well, if God does the planting, then what's our job? What's that? Looking after it. Oh, this is great. I'm not used to getting answers. Looking after it's part of it. As seeds, we are called to grow. Absolutely. You see, God is at work everywhere. This is what I mentioned earlier in the, in the service. And um, I was able, I was actually had the opportunity to speak to the Free Methodist uh, men's breakfast on Saturday. So I cheated on our church and went to have breakfast with the Free Methodists. And please forgive me. And uh, <laughs> I shared this point. God is at work everywhere in his creation. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't. God is everywhere. He's always at work. He is everywhere at work. He is at work with or without us. Because God is doing it. God's goal is to weave all of the chaotic and random and good and bad events of this world into this beautiful tapestry that one day will be ultimately perfected. God is at work. He's calling people into his community. He's planting seed. He's giving rain from the sky to water it and snow, bless the Lord. He's doing these things. God is always everywhere at work. And so we can start to get the impression, oh, what's our job? Well, we'll come to church on Sunday. All will be well, bless the Lord. Well, we obviously have more to do than that. But we have to be careful never to try to take God's job from him. One of, uh, I used to listen to this one uh, um, metal band called Leader Dogs for the Blind. And one of the, one of the songs, the first song in the album starts with this preacher recording voice on, the, on this music. And he says, you need to stop playing God because you're not good at it. And the position is taken. <laughs> I always like that. It's not our job to plant seeds exclusively as if we do it by our own strength. God is at work, always, everywhere. And it's our job to essentially be windsurfers. I know this is a bit of a cheesy metaphor, but stay with me. The Spirit of God is referred to both in the Old Testament and the New Testament as wind. It's God's breath, it's God's wind, it's God's spirit. In the Old Testament, Ruach means that. In the New Testament, Numa means that. In both Testaments, the Spirit of God is referred to as breath or wind. And Jesus picked up on this in the oddball gospel that I told you about earlier, John chapter 3, verse 5. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can enter this kingdom without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. He's doing a play on words because wind and spirit are the same thing. The wind blows wherever it wants. The Spirit of God moves wherever He wants. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind and can't tell where it comes from or see where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Brian and I had an ongoing joke on our canoe trip that if the wind is blowing, the direction is wherever it's blowing from. 
we paddled for 10 kilometers up Lake Bisco, Tacy. The one day, into the wind the whole way. So due north up to this point, then the next day we paddled 10 kilometers down the other side of that point, and the wind switched 180 degrees overnight. <laughs> we paddled 10K into the wind one day, we, just, we turned around and we paddled 10K into the wind the next day. It, it's, a, it's a rule of thumb when you're paddling. But we don't know which way the wind blows. We don't know always what God is doing, but our, our role as believers, as, as citizens of the kingdom of God, if I could say it that way, is to discern where God's spirit is moving. Because he's already moving. It's to discern where he's moving and to come alongside God and say, how can I be a part of this? How can I help you so? How can I help you do these things? How can, how can I work with you to see your kingdom thrive and grow in this world? And how do we sow? Through the simple deeds that we do, through the simple things that we say, God uses all of these things in his plan. I made a list just tonight, some of the ideas of the ways that we can help partner with God in his mission to, uh, to see his kingdom grow throughout this world, to see seeds planted and so on. And something as simple as, and these are obviously examples from our context, something as simple as serving breakfast. That's a loving act. It's loving because you sacrifice part of your time to do it. You're giving up yourself to serve someone else. You don't think God can use that? Helping someone fill out a job application who maybe isn't able to do it on their own, doesn't have the, the smarts to go through it, but needs the job. You're sacrificing your time to be with that person. Driving people to the hospital. This is something that my uncle and my aunt, they've made it their ministry in their retirement. They take people to the hospital and sit with them. She was a nurse. They do this time and time again. They invest their time, they invest their emotions in the people that are going through suffering and sit with them. Sitting with people who are dying. You know, um, I like to brag about Liz. Uh, Liz from our church, she's in Leisure World now. She's discerned that that's one of her ministries. And when someone's dying at Leisure World, she'll go and sit with them and just be with them. It's loving. It's sacrificial. It's giving of your emotions. It's giving of your time to be with someone. Phoning someone who is lonely. Helping shingle a roof. Bringing food to a neighbor. Inviting someone over for a hockey game. The list is as long as there are people with ideas. But when we discern through prayer that God is at work in someone's life and we have an opportunity to just be a part of that life as well, be amazed how God can use that. It's not just our actions too, it's the things we say. And this makes people nervous because oftentimes when you talk about sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, you have this vision of Jehovah's Witnesses going from door to door knocking. My, my buddy Brian, when he moved to one of his uh, former churches that he was at, he moved into the parsonage and he was warned that the person the next door over from the parsonage didn't want to have anything to do with religion. Like, stay away from him. There was a bad relationship between him and the last pastor, so just steer clear. So if you know Brian, <laughs> he was out in the yard one day and the guy from next door said, so you're the, you're the new preacher? 
And he's like, yes, my name is Brian Lacine, and I wonder if you'd like to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart now as your personal Lord and Savior. And they become great friends from that moment on. But conversation, sharing good news is as simple as telling your story. You know what? I was sick last week, and three different people from the church came over with meals to help me. Isn't that amazing how much God loves me? Just simple things like that through the relationships you have are ways that we can discern the spirit at work and, and, and contribute to the growth of the kingdom of God. Offering to pray for someone in need. This is an interesting thing, and you don't have to be a pastor to do it. It's, I've, I've heard a testimony recently about this, but if, even if someone is, is not, has anything to do or doesn't want to have anything to do with the church, when they're hurting, if you say, listen, um, I'm a, I'm a believer, and would it be okay if I prayed for you? I've been turned down once that I can remember. Almost always, they'll say, yeah, sure, why not? Give God a chance to do something. It's pretty amazing what God will do. So we partner. We don't do, we don't take control of the sowing. We don't take control of the growth. But we discern where God is at work. And we join in. The next thing I wanted to share with you is that growth happens. When you look at the parable, you'll see that the kingdom of God happens um, without a lot of understanding about how it gets there. Growth is something that is incomprehensible. It says that we, the farmer doesn't know. Now, here's where the, the metaphor of God being the farmer breaks down. Because, of course, God knows what's going on. But when you plant a seed underground, you don't know what's happening with that seed. Did you ever do that, that uh, project in school where you take a bean seed and you put it in a glass jar with paper towel around it? You wet it and you see how the bean grows. And it's really cool because we don't usually get to see that. Jesus is making the point that with the kingdom of God, we don't get to see everything that's going on under the ground. God is the sower. God is the one who brings growth. And God knows what's going on. You don't know what's going on in the heart of that person that you care about. I mean, you can know him to some extent or her to some extent, but we can't know everything. But God does. And this challenges our desire for control. We like to be in control. Well, some of us like to be in control. We like to... Uh, plan everything, organize it, know exactly how it's going to happen. Okay, God, if your kingdom is going to grow, it's going to start with Bill, Sheila, and Tom. I don't know why I picked those three names just off the top of my head. But it's going to start with these three people that are close to the kingdom, so I'm going to spend time with them and them, and, and this is going to happen, and they're going to grow because of this and that. And we like to make our plans and sort things out, but the kingdom of God doesn't submit to that. God works in ways that we do not see and do not understand. My desire for control was challenged on my camping trip, and I'm going to have stories, just to warn you, because I was camping. But uh, at one point in my camping trip, when we were planning it, we planned a 1.3 kilometer portage where no portage existed. Because I thought 1.3 kilometers isn't far. It's like going from here to uh, the Canadian Tire Gas Bar. That's about 1.3 kilometers. But how hard can it be to carry our stuff that far through the woods? So we got there the night before the portage. It was going to happen the next morning. And I got my GPS out, and I marked the lake that we were going to. And it's got an arrow showing me which direction to go. And Brian and I thought, why don't we sked out this portage the night before? Because we have a couple hours of daylight left. 
So we took off into the woods, and it was the thickest bush I've ever seen in my life. Like, it's a forest fire waiting to happen. It is continual deadfall. It was insane. The, 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 everything was so close together and claustrophobic. We were sweating with no gear, with no canoes, just trying to make our way over all the deadfall up to the next lake. Finally, we came out on a, on a road, an old logging road, and we were able to follow it for a bit and then cut off into the bush and wound up going through a swamp. And I got the bruise to show for it. And, uh, it was interesting, but we finally figured out what we were going to do. And I have a picture to show you what the portage looked like. That was it. That was one of the clear sections. So there, you'd have the canoe on your head, and you'd be forcing your way through, and it would get too thick. So you'd have to throw it on, on your shoulder and muscle your way through to get through the trees. And I did something for the first time in my life. It was so thick with uh, poplar trees at this one spot that I literally stood my canoe on its end to turn it around, because there was no way to turn it around like this. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> but you know, I thought I had control going into that. Easy plan, 1.3K, I got a GPS that points a straight line, just walk this line, done. No. <laughs> Reality has different ideas. Reality challenged the way, the sense of control that we had, and it's the same with the kingdom of God. <coughs> we can't control what God does. Growth is incomprehensible, it's also automatic. Literally in Greek, the word is automate. It's, it's the literal word, automatic. Growth happens without our doing something. In fact, sometimes when we meddle, we make things worse. What would happen if you planted a seed, a uh, vegetable seed in your garden in the spring, and then a day later you're like, I wonder how that seed's doing. I'm just going to go check. Dug in and checked it. No, nothing's germinated yet. A week later, I'm going to check again. You pull, what would happen to that seed? It would die. The growth happens, uh, the growth of the kingdom of God so often happens underground, invisible to us, and we can't see what's happening. And again, this, this challenges our desire for control, but on the other hand, it can be a great relief. It is an amazing relief to realize that you are not responsible for the growth of the kingdom of God. You are not responsible for this. God is the one who makes things grow. God is the one who sows. Your job is to be faithful to God in the process. It's not to uncover the seed every day and say, how are you doing? So have you thought about it? 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 We kill so many seeds. <laughs> growth is automatic and growth is gradual. This, this parable says first the leaf pokes through, then the wheat and the wheat becomes ripe, and the harvest comes through, and, and so on. It's not something that happens overnight. The growth of the kingdom of God is a gradual process. It's been 2,000 years now growing. And it's, there's been remarkable growth around the world. Christianity is growing at insane rates in the majority world now, the global south. It's slowing in the global north. Again, that's something if I had the control of it, I would change, but I can't. But the kingdom of God is a gradual growth that comes bit by bit. And we can't rush the process. If we keep pestering the seed, we'll end up hurting the seed. 
So one more thing, because I know your stomachs are grumbling right now. I was going to tell you a story about nachos, but I'm going to save it for later, because that just would not be wise. I literally see uh, trying to cook nachos while camping. Save that for another sermon. It's not about us, is my last point. And I wanted to bring in one more passage of scripture to help us understand this parable. It's from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9. This is Paul speaking. We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us to do. I planted the seed in your heart. He's not saying that he took God's job, but God gave him that work to do. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. Think about that. When it comes to the growth of the kingdom of God, it's not important who does what. Because God is in charge of these things. It's not important who does the planting, who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, and they'll be rewarded for their hard work. For both are God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. I love that. God gives us different tasks to do. As we're discerning what his spirit is doing in the world, he motivates us and moves us to demonstrate the love of God in various ways. And he works it together and some people get to plant and some people get to water. And all of that is not as important as God who makes things grow. There's a couple different ways you can respond to this idea. It may be stressful because you can't control it. Or it may be a great relief because our responsibility is just to be faithful to God. How simple is that? Not easy, mind you, but how simple is it? We're not responsible to see a certain amount of quarterly growth by this date because it's God who makes the kingdoms grow. Our responsibility is to be faithful to the God who makes things grow. I'm going to invite the band to come back. We're going, to, uh, we're going to play another song again, but before we do, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for your kingdom that has tore through the entire earth, that has is, that is grown up slowly all over the place. Thank you that your life and your hope and your love is, is, is flooding this world. And thank you further, Lord, that we can be a part of this. That when we discern what you're doing, when we listen, we have opportunities to demonstrate and to share the good news of your love for this world. I pray, again, that you would give us eyes to see where you are at work in all the relationships of our lives. I pray that you give us a sensitivity to understand what our role is, whether it's to, help, to, to, to plant a seed with you or whether it's to water a seed with you. Lord, help us not to overstep or try to take control, but just discern what you're doing. It's as simple as that. Lord, give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. We love the Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.